Before I was diagnosed, I was a teacher. I was working in an alternate program. These are kids who struggled and they just fall in love with you and they want to hug you. So diagnosed, I could not be hugged. It was awful. I never realized how severe it was, how long it lasted, and how it affected their mental health. We really heard how they would get discouraged. They would feel like nobody understood what they were going through. It was affecting their social life, their family life, their jobs, their ability to do their jobs and to do some of the activities, hobbies, sports that they had done before. It's a medical condition known as the silent thief, and it can occur over a number of years without any obvious symptoms. And by the time it is diagnosed, this disease, which impacts at least one in three women and one in five men, is already advanced and more difficult to treat. It's osteoporosis, a condition that causes bones to become thin and more susceptible to breakage. In fact, osteoporosis is the reason for over 80% of all bone fractures in people over 50. And while no single cause for this condition has emerged, there are many research programs underway into prevention strategies that can help patients find ways to avoid refracturing and hospitalization, which is an all too common occurrence. In this episode, you'll meet a physician who is conducting specialized research into the area of osteoporosis and fracture prevention. You'll also be introduced to a spinal fracture patient who has regained some of her mobility and hope, thanks in part to her active role as a patient partner in this groundbreaking research program. This is The Power to Heal. In this series of podcasts, we'll focus on the many innovative ways Peace Arch Hospital, located in White Rock, British Columbia, Canada, has been an integral part of its community. We'll take you behind the scenes of the hospital's dynamic fundraising arm and talk to those who are instrumental in creating new initiatives to help this important healthcare facility grow and evolve along with the town it serves. A bone attack. That's the layperson's term medical professionals like Dr. Sonia Singh use to describe a broken bone or fracture that may be a sign of an underlying disease in older adults. Dr. Singh is the medical lead for the Healthy Bones Clinic, as well as British Columbia's first fracture liaison services, both located at Peace Arch Hospital. She's dedicated the last 10 years of her career to helping bridge what's known as the post-fracture care gap. Dr. Singh's aim is to stop the all too familiar repeat fractures, which could and should have been prevented in the first place. An important component of this work is a research program partially funded by the hospital's foundation for people with vertebral fractures in their spines. According to Dr. Singh, many of these patients rarely access hospital services and their care is largely managed in the community. One of the patient partners in her study is Cheryl, whose valuable input is helping researchers like Dr. Singh better understand and address fracture patients' needs. Dr. Singh and Cheryl spoke with veteran broadcaster and longtime White Rock South Surrey resident, Wayne Cox. 
Dr. Singh, I'd like to start with you, and because I understand your inspiring story it began over 10 years ago from the time you were working Peace Arch Hospital Emergency Department. Can you take us back to the beginning? What did you see that started you on your research path that continues today? Yeah, sure, I can do that, Wayne. I worked for 25 years as an emergency physician, and one of the things that I saw quite frequently were people who came in with broken bones, what we refer to as fractures. And I knew that we did a great job of taking care of that immediate fracture, but I started to wonder why we weren't doing anything to prevent them from coming back with a second and a third fracture. And believe me, I saw them come back. And I distinctly remember one patient, an elderly 80-year-old woman, she'd fallen and we were sure that she'd broken her right hip. And I put up the x-ray and I could see for sure she'd broken her right hip, but I also saw that she'd had her left hip repaired. And so I went back and looked in her medical history and I saw that she'd actually broken her hip about two years ago. She'd fallen, tripped and fell, same sort of story. And we had missed an opportunity at that time to put things in place to make sure that she didn't break a bone a second time. I also just wanted to say that I started to think about other health conditions. So we see a lot of heart attacks in the emergency department too. And I knew that we did a lot more for these patients than just send them to the cath lab to get their heart coronary arteries opened. We were doing things to lower their cholesterol, control their blood pressure, put them on medications that we knew would prevent further heart attacks. But when people were coming in with what we call now a bone attack, we weren't doing anything at all similar to what we do for heart attack patients. So that really started me on this particular research journey. Did that coincide with the osteoporosis care that was starting to emerge from the United Kingdom back in 2012? Were those two things linked in your mind? Well, at the time, I was an emergency physician. I wasn't even really involved in osteoporosis care until 2007 when I started working in our Healthy Bones Clinic at Peace Arch. But in 2012, I was invited to go to Toronto. Osteoporosis Canada was holding a conference. And I learned a lot about osteoporosis at that meeting. So one of the things that I learned is that what kind of fractures are we talking about? So these aren't fractures that happen from a car accident or falling off of a ladder. There are fractures that happen just from very minimal trauma, like a little trip and fall, and they can even occur spontaneously just from activities of daily living. And so that was a real eye-opener for me. And the other thing that was an eye-opener was that there's lots of treatments that we know prevent fractures from happening again, but only about 20% of people who come into our hospital facilities with one of these fragility or low trauma fractures ever get those treatments. And so that's what's referred to as the osteoporosis care gap. Now, it was all very discouraging, very negative stuff, but then they started talking about what kinds of things people are doing to try and close that gap, to kind of move that 20% 
up to a higher level. And so I heard about all the things that didn't work, like just educating patients, just educating doctors. And then they talked about something called fracture liaison service, which we refer to as FLS. And that has been just a game changer. FLS, we better clear that up because I think you'll be mentioning it as we go through our conversation. So what exactly is that? So for the first time in orthopedic care, when somebody comes in and they've had a fracture, we now have a specific individual that is dedicated to what we call secondary prevention. So that's preventing the next fracture from happening. So while the rest of the orthopedic staff is dealing with the immediate fracture, the FLS coordinator, who's often a nurse, will meet the patient, talk to the patient about the potential for them to have another fracture and how they want to help prevent that next fracture. And they do three really important things. First of all, they identify whether this person has in fact had a fragility fracture make sure that it's not like a big trauma fracture. Second of all, um, they take a really targeted history, they order some investigations, and they determine what that person's risk is of having another fracture. And the third thing they do is initiate the right treatments for that person. So it's an individualized program, and it might include being put on medications for osteoporosis, it might include being referred to an osteoporosis specialist if they have a really complicated case. And it could be a referral to a fall prevention program if they happen to be somebody who's fallen a lot. And we always give them general information about health, nutrition, what kind of exercise programs are available in the community that they can go to. And we send that information to their family physicians and encourage them to go and talk to their family physicians about acting on some of those treatments. And then those patients that are at really high risk, we follow them for up to a year. And that's to just make sure that we answer any questions they have, make sure that they're sticking with their treatments and they really understand what's going on. And then we always encourage them to go to the Osteoporosis Canada website for more information and even to join the Osteoporosis Canada Patient Network, which is a great supportive network of people who have osteoporosis and may have had fractures already. I know you're working on a research programs and things, but I think we can get to that in a minute. But I think I'd like to bring Cheryl in right now because you are talking about people who are benefiting from all kinds of different programs there are. Cheryl became known as a patient partner in Dr. Singh's research and quality improvement projects. And Cheryl, I don't mind admitting that I felt more than a little queasy when I heard that before you met the doctor, you had fractured almost every bone in your spine. How does something like that even happen? So I had been diagnosed in 2014, just before I turned 59. And that was a lower spine fractures, also very painful. So I had been put on a medication and it was a three-year program. When that program ended, during that program, I was taking the medication and I was doing what I could for myself. So I couldn't walk very far at first, but I 
every day walked a little further and I attended fitness classes as I could. I attended massage therapists and, you know, just people that could help me. So I did the three-year program and I was feeling stronger. And when the prescription ended, I was on no other meds. That was the mistake. My bones became weaker and I didn't know it. And I started making mistakes. I was lifting heavy items. I was playing too hard, doing things I shouldn't be doing. Were you diagnosed at this point with osteoporosis? Yes, I was diagnosed with the two initial vertebrae fractures on the lower spine. I was diagnosed with osteoporosis and went into uh, medication programs. So at that time, like I said, I had made some mistakes. I was lifting heavy things. I was playing too hard. And without knowing it, I fractured several of my higher vertebrae up my spine. Dr. Singh has much better language around the spine, and I just go, well, it just hurt. (laughs) (laughs) So they became fragility fractures, which I later understood was because if I opened a door, I fractured. If I bent down to pick something up, I fractured. If I stood too long, I fractured. So those fractures were called fragility fractures. And they continued until... 13 vertebrae had been fractured up my spine. Wow. A little bit of pain. That part is the bad news. There is good news coming. Did you know that osteoporosis fractures are more common than heart attack, stroke, and breast cancer combined? And that Canadians are in the top quarter of all nations in the world for risk of having a major fracture due to osteoporosis? According to Osteoporosis Canada, 30,000 Canadians break their hips each year. Many more experience osteoporosis-related fractures of the spine, wrist, shoulder, and pelvis. Initial signs of this disease include the fragility fractures mentioned in this episode, which are bone fractures caused by things like a minor fall. Unfortunately, early indicators of osteoporosis are rare. One of the most effective methods of early-stage detection is to consult with a healthcare professional, especially if you have a family history of osteoporosis. So, doctor, obviously, you don't have to fall down in order to break a bone with osteoporosis. As Cheryl just pointed out, I mean, opening a door or standing up, how does that affect someone's quality of life? How do you get around that? I think this is something that is a bit of a misconception. I mean, people don't really realize the impact on people's quality of life of these fragility fractures. Cheryl's certainly spoken about the impact with vertebral fractures or spine fractures. We hear a lot about the impact when people have had a hip fracture in terms of their quality of life and even impacting their length of life leading to early death. So I think there's a lot of misconceptions about osteoporosis. And you know, maybe I can take a few minutes and just talk about a few that I have recognized over the years. I mean, one of the first ones is that many people get mixed up between osteoporosis and osteoarthritis. They both start with osteo, but they are different conditions. So osteoarthritis is a condition where you get very painful joints. It hurts to move your joints. It hurts to be mobile. And it's one of the main reasons that people end up getting knee replacements. Osteoporosis is a different condition. Although many people might have both, osteoporosis is about thinning of the bones. The bones themselves become more fragile. They become more susceptible to breaking just from very simple activities. 
and it's painless. There is no pain associated with osteoporosis until somebody breaks a bone. Then it hurts. And I think Cheryl can attest to that. (laughs) So the second thing that is a bit of a misconception. In the past, people used to say it was quote unquote, a woman's disease. And it was a disease of old people, elderly people over the age of 80, not 59 like Cheryl talked about. But we now know that these fractures start in people's 50s. And it is a disease that anyone can get, anyone can get an osteoporosis-related fracture. And the third misconception that I see is what you mentioned earlier, Wayne, and that is people think that these fractures can only happen after a fall. And that is a big misconception because as Cheryl just mentioned, she has fractured just from activities of daily living. As she mentioned, just opening a door, reaching for something in a cupboard, bending over to make a bed, or just even rolling over in bed. So people have to think about these fractures, even if there hasn't been a fall associated. Wow. Cheryl, you have some happy news. You are on the road to recovery. Can you tell us about some of the treatments and therapies that are helping you? When I was suffering my fragility fractures, my quality of life was very, very bad. When I was attending the meetings with Sonia, I would have to enter with a cane and I had a person helping me. My partner, George, would come and help me. I could not sit for long. I could not stand for long. But these meetings were really important to me because I wanted to help. If I could just prevent one person from avoiding this agony, I really wanted to help. So when I was suffering these fractures, I was put on a program where in order to strengthen my bones, I did a self-injection every day for two years. This helped me strengthen my bones. And during those two years, I worked really hard to walk every day and do whatever I could every day so that I didn't lose any more of my strength or quality of life. With the help of George, I was able to live almost normally, but just with a lot of pain. Many people that are diagnosed are still working, and this is a bit of a shock. So before I was diagnosed, I was a teacher. I was working in an alternate program. These are kids who've struggled, and they just fall in love with you, and they want to hug you. So when I was first diagnosed, I could not be hugged. It was awful. So at that time, I tried to go on half-time work. I did that for a little while, but it was very difficult for me getting in and out of my car, driving my car, getting out of my car to go into work, walking up the steps, asking people, please don't hug me. And all through this, I was trying to do my work and I was struggling with muscle spasms at the time, very painful muscle spasms. So eventually I had to give in and say, okay, I need to go on long-term disability because I cannot manage this. I would get home by one o'clock in the afternoon when I was working on half time and I was done for the day. So quality of life, gone. So that was the worst of it. And then I started to accept that, okay, I'm on a cane and I'm all hunched over because I can't straighten out. But the medication that I was on, the daily injections, and as well as taking calcium and vitamin D3, those are really important. 
I started to work really hard at walking further every day, straightening myself out, trying to walk without my cane. That was difficult. Getting in and out of my vehicle just a little bit more carefully so that I could manage. So quality of life started to get a little bit better. But I was on long-term disability and I had the ability to work on myself. So I had to leave my work. So I ended up not working past 60. I only worked for another year. So then I attended the Peace Arch Bone Clinic. I've been there more than once. They are very, very helpful about keeping track of where you are with your bones. And my bone specialist is there as well. So from really, really bad to today, I have pain-free days. I walk without a cane. I walk straight. When I haven't seen somebody for a few months, they always comment, oh my goodness, look at you, you look normal. It's hard work. You can't just depend on medication. You have to work on yourself too. And I'll be 68 soon and I'm going to be okay. That's fabulous. But what brought you to uh, to Dr. Singh and her research program? Because that is, I guess, another chapter in what you've had to go through. Well, I have a friend who is an osteoporosis patient as well. He is very involved in being a patient partner with much of what's going on with osteoporosis. And when he found out about Sonia's research, he recommended me as somebody that might fit well with her research. And I really can't remember whether it was Larry that contacted me or Sonia, but I immediately felt very grateful for being invited for being asked and the rest is history and I have probably gained more from those sessions than I have given so I appreciate it. Dr. Singh can you tell us how Cheryl's role developed as a a patient partner and why it's important to have someone like Cheryl who feels empowered and active in the program as opposed to just being a passive participant? Yeah that's an excellent question Wayne. I think that Many of our patient partners in the beginning, they said, what can I contribute? Like, what can I bring to a research team? And I think the only way for them to understand what they bring to the team is actually to participate in the team. And so I think the first thing that we've always done in our teams is welcome patient partners as equal research team members and really value the input that they bring. And in my experience, what they bring is they bring that patient perspective and they make sure that we do not forget about the patients, that we are focused on what's important to patients, not what's important to some sort of research protocol, but really keeping us on task. And the other thing that patient partners bring is that they bring their past experience So Cheryl mentioned a longtime patient partner that has worked with me, and that is Larry Fennell, and he was a a government bureaucrat. So he's great at writing things. He's great at editing things. He knows about policy. He knows about politics, and he brings such a rich background to our team. Cheryl has been a teacher. She's a great educator, and when we were developing the educational booklets, she said, no, this is no good. Like, you can't write this. (laughs) She helped us fine-tune the language and make sure that it was written in a way that patients will understand that really speaks to patients. 
So that's the value. And I think the last thing that I heard, particularly when we did these interviews with patients who had had vertebral fractures, is that a few of them mentioned that it was part of a healing process for them. They had never had anybody spend two hours and actually ask them about what their experience had been like. What was their journey like? And it helped them really start to move forward. And that was something that we had never anticipated would be an outcome of the research. The research team that Dr. Sonia Singh brought together in the spring of 2012 had a clear goal to develop a hospital-based healthcare model that would prevent more breaks in patients admitted with an initial fracture. This point-of-care approach can provide faster investigation and treatment and reduce the risk of new fractures by up to 50%. The team's search for such a model eventually resulted in the creation of BC's first fracture liaison service at Peace Arch Hospital. A key role there is played by a coordinator who connects with both the surgeon and patient while the latter is in the orthopedic clinic after receiving initial post-fracture care. But in order to first study and then plan a prototype of such a service, Dr. Singh and her team needed funding. Dr. Singh, maybe we will get back now to that research program and the planning grant that you received from the Canadian Institutes of Health Research. That helped to get things really in motion for you. And I'm going to ask you about the grant and what it enabled you to do. It's a planning grant. What exactly is that? Well, maybe I can start with when I came back from Toronto. So that was a little over 10 years ago. I came back with all that information in my head about fracture liaison services and the osteoporosis care gap. And I was so excited to share that with my colleagues. And when I came back to BC, I said, we don't have any FLS programs here in BC. Let's see if we can get one started. So I brought together a team, and that included the person that Cheryl was talking about, Larry Fennell, who was a patient partner. And we got a team of about 10 people from different walks of life, healthcare providers, administrators, researchers, and we applied to this planning grant, and we were successful. And what the planning grant is all about is planning out some type of new intervention that you're going to put in place and to plan out how you're going to study how well it works. And so we spent a year, all of 2013, doing that planning. And we learned from others that have gone before us, people that had put in place FLS in Ontario, in the US and in the UK. And at the end of the year, we were ready to try it out. We were ready to actually put it into motion. And that's when the Peace Arch Hospital Foundation came in We presented what we wanted to do. We presented the evidence of the past, that people in the past had found that FLS really increased the number of patients that were getting the right treatments after their fractures, and that it was actually reducing people's rates of refracture and even reducing the death rate, the mortality. So kudos to the foundation. They said, okay, we'll take a chance on you. (laughs) And they gave us the funds that we needed to hire a nurse practitioner by the name of Nancy Parmar. And she was the one who really developed 
the template for our FLS program that's still running at Peace Arch today. And she worked with all the stakeholders at the hospital site, all the staff. She worked with our research team and she developed the program and we put it into place. And we did what is called a before and after study. So we looked at patients who went through the hospital cast clinic and saw the orthopedic surgeons before FLS. And we compared them to people who went through the FLS program once it was up and running. And I have to say that, you know, initially the orthopedic surgeons were a little hesitant. They said, oh, we're going to have a nurse working with us in the cast clinic. He or she's going to get in the way. They're going to get in the way of my work and slow me down. But, you know, once they saw it up and running, wow, they just loved it. And they are our biggest champions. And so the outcomes you were hoping for, obviously, you saw just bloom right in front of you. That's right. And when we looked at the data, it showed that before FLS, only about 23% of patients were getting the appropriate treatments they needed to prevent subsequent fractures, like they almost exactly what had been reported in the literature elsewhere. And after we implemented the FLS at Peace Arch, that went up to 78%. So it was a huge increase. Wow. And those fantastic results were the main reason that the administration at Peace Arch said, okay, the funding from the hospital foundation is running out. We don't want to lose this great program. And Teresa O'Callaghan, who was the executive director at the time, she just looked at me and said, this is a no-brainer. We just have to go and find a way to fund it. And she did. And it's been running ever since that time, ever since 2015, when we saw our first patient in the FLS clinic. You need more people like her around. Absolutely. And she's actually joined our larger team. She's still working as an administrative partner on one of our research teams. She's become one of our biggest champions in Fraser Health. <laughs> wow. Where would you like to see this research go next? Is there another step that you would like to see? Well, I think one of the things that I'll just mention is that there's this research work that Cheryl was involved in, which has been a little bit of a separate project. And that was because I could see that the patients like Cheryl who had had vertebral fractures were not always being seen in our fractured liaison program. And that's because often they don't get treated in the hospital. And so they don't get kind of picked up by our FLS coordinator. And they were really falling through the cracks. And I think, you know, Cheryl can certainly attest to that with her story. And so Cheryl was involved in another project where we wanted to learn from people like Cheryl and learn what needed to be done to provide the right supports for this particular type of fracture patient. And so we did 15 interviews. And from that research, I can say that there were three things that really stood out for me. And one of them Cheryl's described so beautifully, and that is the incredible pain that people go through when they suffer these fractures. I never realized how severe it was, how long it lasted, and how it often persists for years after those fractures. I think with time, it becomes manageable, 
And as Cheryl said, people do have days when they don't have pain, but that was a real revelation to me and to our team. And the second thing that we learned from these patients was how it affected their mental health. We really heard how they would get discouraged. They would feel like nobody understood what they were going through. It was affecting their social life, their family life. And as Cheryl mentioned, their jobs, their ability to do their jobs and to do some of the activities, hobbies, sports that they had done before. And so these were some of the things that we learned. And the other thing that came out is that many of these patients were not diagnosed when they started to present with pain. They had delayed diagnosis. Some of them weren't even diagnosed with a fracture until two or three months after they had started having their symptoms. And that comes back to what I mentioned before. It was because they hadn't fallen. And so nobody even thought that they could possibly have a fracture of any kind. So one of the things that Cheryl really helped us with in the research was to really try to focus on what was important for patients. And sometimes as doctors and other healthcare providers, we're not always aware of what's really important and helpful for the patients until we actually ask them. So one of the first things that we did, and Cheryl, you were the one who said, let's focus on educating people because there's so much that's not known. And so the first things that we've been doing in that project is looking at creating educational brochures for patients and all of the patients that did those interviews contributed to those brochures, and also educating the healthcare staff. So doing in-services to the staff on the wards and doing presentations to some of the doctors at the hospital. So I hope I'm not giving you too much information, but I just wanted to be clear that there's been sort of two different projects going on, both of them interrelated, but a little bit different. I don't think there's any such thing as too much information, especially something like this. And Cheryl, obviously not everybody can take part in a research program like you have, but I'm sure you have some words of advice for other osteoporosis patients and sufferers. What can you tell them? Thank you for asking that question. It's a very important question for me. What I would tell people is once you're diagnosed with osteoporosis, whether it's from a hospital or from your family doctor, be an active partner in your healing. There is healing. Do whatever you can for yourself. At first, possibly there's too much pain. There are programs available to us that I didn't know about. It would have been so very helpful to have home care come in and help me with showering and dressing and making easy meals because at that point I wasn't doing very well at all. So just being aware or just asking the question, what's available to you to help you? The other thing that I would say is learn as much as you can about the medications you are being offered and to accept that medications will help you. Exercise alone is not going to build your bones back up. 
but some of the medications are vital for that. And as they begin to work, I believe it's very important to access those osteofit programs, walk a little farther every day. If you can, get on a bicycle. I'm riding a bicycle now. Wow. I'm just so thrilled. And accept that life has changed a little. I will never again run. I will never again skate. I will never again dance the Western dances that I used to do. But I can do all of those things in bits, not the running, but I can dance without jumping. I cannot skate because I cannot fall. But I have tons of wonderful memories. Let yourself have your memories. Understand that life may change a little, but it's just taking a turn. That's all. Get involved with your health. Get involved with doing whatever you can to be well and live well. Very nicely put. Dr. Singh, any final words of advice for those experiencing osteo injuries? How urgent is it that fractures get assessed right away? And I think get moving is found at the top of your treatment list. Can you expand on that? Before I actually go into that, I just want to make sure that people are aware that the great program that we developed at PeaceArch, I think the hospital should be really proud of the fact that we are now spreading that program to other sites. So over the last year, both Chilliwack Hospital and Richmond Hospital have also started FLS programs, and they're based on the model that we developed here at PeaceArch with the help of the foundation funding. So our research has continued, and also earlier this year, our team received another grant from the Canadian Institute of Health Research And that is to start working with the Ministry of Health to look at spreading the FLS program across the province. So some really exciting things happening. And I'm hoping that when I I retire, (laughs) that I will be able to see that FLS is on its way to all patients across the province and not just limited to the people that come to Peace Arch Hospital. But if I was going to say to an individual person, you know, if you have a new fracture, you're over 50, and it is what we would call a fragility fracture, just with very little trauma or spontaneously, like Cheryl talked about, make sure that you get assessed. Whether you end up coming through our FLS program or whether you go and talk to your own family doctor, get assessed. Make sure that you know what your risk of another fracture is and that you get on the right treatments for you at the right time because that next fracture could be just around the corner. For sure, keep moving. I'm definitely a big proponent of keeping moving, but it's also important to do safe exercise. And that's where going to the Osteoporosis Canada website, seeing physiotherapist or exercise specialist that know how to manage osteoporosis in patients is very important because there are definitely certain movements that are not good for you to do as an osteoporosis patient, particularly if you've had spine fractures. So get informed, get on the right treatments and get moving. I saw Cheryl nodding in agreement. Yes? Absolutely. Everything Sonia says, it's been very helpful in my healing journey to be involved with something like this. It takes you away from your own because when you're in pain, it's all about self. And it was good to look outside self and try to help others. 
I'd like to thank both of you today for sharing your expertise and Cheryl for sharing your story. And Dr. Singh, we look forward to hearing more about your important research into this condition that affects obviously so many people. I thank you very much. Thanks, Wayne. Thanks for the opportunity for us to be able to share with everybody our experiences. The Power to Heal podcast, presented by Peace Arch Hospital Foundation in White Rock, British Columbia, takes you behind the scenes of an innovative hospital foundation and introduces you to the team who find new and sometimes surprising ways to engage with the local community and help fund the best healthcare possible in the region. Since 1988, the foundation has raised over $210 million for capital projects, medical equipment, and community health programs. Their passionate and caring team's number one priority is the prudent stewardship of your gifts and the resulting positive impact on patients and medical staff at Peace Arch Hospital and the entire White Rock South Surrey community. Peace Arch Hospital Foundation, where innovation comes to life in so many ways. The simple act of giving is truly transformational. Every dollar we receive is enhancing healthcare in this community, whether it's supporting our capital infrastructure, the purchase of essential medical equipment, or funding a wellness program like stroke recovery, or a children's club to encourage healthy habits and active play. Our wide range of giving options includes monthly donations, an increasingly popular and convenient choice that makes the greatest impact on your community hospital. You just sign up once and the rest is automatic. And that includes receiving a consolidated tax receipt at the end of the year. But no matter what giving option you choose, it all matters and it all makes a difference. Be sure to subscribe to Power to Heal wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Each episode brings you inspiring stories about the Peace Arch Hospital Foundation and its innovative approach to supporting better health care throughout the White Rock South Surrey community. Thanks for listening. Another Everything Podcast production. Visit everythingpodcast.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.